So there's commitment to what I do. It's 12 hour days. It's a lot of work. The rewards are bountiful. People ask me what I do. I farm and I surf. I farm and I surf. I eat really, really good from the land. I look quite a bit younger than I am. I have uh, cool people around me. And I feel like I'm able, in a sense, to be able to pay some of what I have forward to others so they can do it. Natural intelligence. And natural intelligence has a much slower, different schedule. And AI has an instant gratification. And so the, there's not an instant gratification with N NI. NI, you have to adapt to its cycles. And I think to get others to be able to see that and to be able to get that across to them, that's one of my largest challenges, I think. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. People seem to be so concerned about what's going to happen with artificial intelligence and saying, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? What's Congress going to do? What are we going to do individually and, and feel threatened? by artificial intelligence. Well, one of the answers I always come to is, well, I guess we could just go off the grid and um, easier said than done. But I've got a guest today that in some respects has got a lot of experience kind of off the grid and in regenerative agriculture, lives close to nature. And uh, Eddie Garcia, you can't get much closer to nature than being on Hawaii, of all the natures of the world, that's one of the favorite natures, I think, for a lot of people. So, welcome. Welcome to Farm to Table Talk, Eddie. Well, aloha. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Hey, aloha, because, you know, I've got all these people that uh, listen to Farm to Table Talk that are envious right off the bat. Um, you know, they're having a good time, maybe, hopefully, you know, farming, uh, getting started in agriculture, liking the idea of being closer to nature. Uh, you're beyond the idea. I mean, you're there, you know, I, I, we're doing this on zoom. And so I can, I can see Maui in the background here as, as you and I, you and I speak, but how is it, um, describe what you, what you're up to and, and. And exactly how it is you live close to, to nature and your relationship and your interest in con and commitment to regenerative agriculture. Huh. It's a lot of question there. Maybe I should chop that up a little bit. But pretty simple. I should probably just explain to you where I'm sitting right now. And I'm not sure how to get my screen off blur. Well, that's uh, all right. You don't have to worry about it because people can't see you anyway. I'm, yeah, only but, doing, I'm doing this audio, but I can see you. That's my point. Give me a chance you can take that off blur for me. What, what? Blur, the, oh, the yeah. black belt is on blur. Uh -huh. Sorry. Um, but I'm Hi. Hi. I'm here with my wife and the interns on my farm as well. They're getting some entertainment out of listening to the podcast. Oh, great. Well, you're going to have to actually listen to it as well. Great. <laughs> um, so the setting that I'm in right now, I'm in the middle of... Uh, a homestead that I set up for an intern program, teaching some uh, folks how to um, live regeneratively. And by regeneratively, I mean, uh, and by close to nature, if you look around you, you can see which the folks around you can't. I'm just surrounded by fruit trees everywhere. Yeah. I'm 
papaya, banana, mango, uh, lilacoy, um, just everything is planted all around me. And in the middle of the setting, I have a little area set up with solar um, that runs all the electricity and satellite, freezer, refrigerator. Um, and then we have a little common area here that's just right in the middle of the orchard where we all hang out and brainstorm. And then we do farm to table dinners um, down here as well. Um, are you, am I still with you? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm looking. I'm enjoying this. I'm wishing everybody could actually um, see what you're doing. But you also you also have some of this posted online, I think. Uh, so that people can, and in fact, if that's the case, why don't we tell people where they could, where they might be able to either see where you are or see some of the programs? I think one of the easiest ways is probably through Instagram because we post there pretty regularly. But if you don't go on social media like that, you can find us at livingearthsystems.com. Um, and I think that also links to some of the pages that we're doing stuff every day with. Instagram is well, we got to zero this in a little bit more. All I broadly described, you're in Hawaii, so people know you're out in the Pacific Ocean, but you're actually in Maui, and um, I would imagine some of the people listening to Farmer Table Talk have been to to Maui. So if you land in Maui, uh, get in a vehicle and drive which direction for how long to get to where you are? To get to where I'm at is about half an hour away from the airport. I want to say a total of about 13 miles. Um, and the island of Maui is split into two volcanic structures, sort of islands. One of them is the West Maui Mountains, and one of them is Haleakala. So you land on the side of Haleakala, and then you take a highway along the coast through the flatland to get to the west side. And that's, that's about a half an hour drive. And then before you get to the town of Lahaina, there's some... Um, uh rural area and that's where we're at in the middle of a valley called Olawalu. We we're on about 17 acres here down in a dip in the valley right against the ocean. Oh, I like that idea being right against the ocean. That sounds like pretty expensive real estate to try to make a living farming. Would that be a, a good guess on my part? Uh it all depends the situation. There's a whole structure of our ag lands here and they've been uh, taken over by sugarcane and pineapple for the last hundred years. So the industry has had all these lands. And then the lands that do come up, you're right, they're sold for gentlemen's estates. Um, and they're worth millions and millions of dollars. But there's also a lot of land that's just sitting fallow. And a lot of the landowners are paying giant taxes on it. And it's agricultural land. It's meant to do agriculture, not building giant gentlemen's estates on. So the idea of uh, making that land available for people to do agriculture instead of it just causing problems uh, like pests and uh, erosion, all sorts of different things come that come with fallow land and not being taken care of. Man, I can't even imagine that. You can get to some place that's great climate compared to an awful lot of places in the world to, uh, to get to Hawaii. But if you take some of that, say if you had, like in your case, you got 17 acres. If you were so lucky uh, to work out a deal that you could get in and have that available to you, buy it, rent it, you know, have it given to you, whatever else, what do you do? How do you, how do you um, kind of be off the grid and regenerative in, in that size of, of an operation in Maui? 
Um, another good question there. I'm not sure how I do it really. Um, I have a, it's a much bigger project than that. The 17 acres is part of, uh, um, a 50 acre area where we, we lease most of the land. We also own some of the land. And then on the North shore, we have another 180 acres that we're responsible for. And then right down the road, we have another 35 acres. And what's happening is all these places are places that have been defunct and they've been just left a mess, trash, hundreds of tons of trash. Um, in some cases, there was agriculture there and it was left defunct with black plastic and um, just not taken care of. So my idea has been to come in, clean those places up, regenerate them, bring the agriculture to new models of agriculture that I'm trying to push forward. I'm trying, there's, we've seen conventional agriculture and organic agriculture, and I, we can get into that later, but there's a lot of things that come along with that. And the idea of getting to these places and um, cleaning them up uh, and then starting to do some agriculture on them and then opening them up to tours, education, making films about what we do, um, and then selling food from these places. And it's a long haul. But eventually, um, money starts to come back in that funds these projects. So that's trying to just give a general roadmap to it. So when I think of that, I mean, I understand cleaning up. If you can go, you know, dig stuff up, get the junk out and, and so forth. But do you have to, uh, is the land then kind of flat or is it covered with trees or mix? Because, you know, you got to plant trees or cut trees or, or something to get, to get ready. It's a whole process that I've mapped out through the last, um, you know, I've been farming here in Hawaii for a solid 35 years. Um, and I've been uh, taking an approach that other people haven't really taken. And to me, it's just really simple common sense, seeing what's happening around me. So I'll go in a place like this place, for instance, one year ago where I'm sitting right now that you see all these beautiful, luscious fruit trees. Some of these trees were here. There was trash all around them. There was plastic on the ground. These trees were underneath 40 foot trees that you see in the background there. Those are all invasive trees in the background. And this whole orchard that you see was completely covered in them. And most of these trees were dead. And so I um, took a loan out bought a machine, uh, some chainsaws, and basically came in here and started cutting the invasive trees out, taking the machine and putting them into piles that I could compost them. And then I have uh, a proprietary sort of uh, process I use to go from barren land to these living compost piles. I bring in earthworms, copepods, a bunch of different creatures. And then I set up the farm rather than being a monocrop and linear rows, I set it up as a forest with multiple layers of trees and under storage in a, in a form of an island, a regenerative island. And so then I take land that's been completely condemned. For instance, the last project right before this one, which is four minutes down the road, it was a giant dust bowl with nothing on it. And with a tenth of the water of conventional agriculture, I was able to grow 200,000 pounds of food in a single year without one drop of fertilizer or pesticide. I created 100% of the ingredients on site through managing the invasive trees and turning them into compost. And then what we really need to do is we need to bring the microbiome back into the soil. So, And going along with that, our nutrient density of our food is through the roof. Um, the yields are through the roof. Why are we getting more with so much less? Um, because it's about 
looking at the lay of the land, seeing what's been interrupted, deep tilling, all these other things, trees taken down, invasive trees allowed to just run wild. The land needs stewardship. And when we come in and we provide that stewardship for it, we can, with a little common sense and whatever else we have to do, get the tools to do it. In a very short time, we can turn things around and return it to a more natural state for the environment that's around it. So it serves it. And then we, with our actions, we serve the land. Enough of a type of agriculture for the last hundred years has been taken over so corporate that it's only looked at the land as math, numbers that come out of it and labor versus this and that um, and pests. And so we need to look at the land in a way where we're giving to it and we're receiving from it. And we need to change that value system a little bit in how that works. And the other thing that goes on here is these farms are beautiful beyond belief. Every, and we, because we're in Hawaii, one, that's great. Um, but to design a farm where your food is everywhere around you, you can pick it. And when you walk through it, you feel euphoric, like a garden. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry, I know that's a long rant, but that's a lot of what's um, uh, going on here in a nutshell. Maybe, and then maybe have some questions about or however I can go into something, but I don't want to go on too much of a far off rant to you, but that's oh, kind of, no, that's all right. That's all right. This is, we're, we're all about ranting. And yeah. so tell me, tell me the crops that you can get. What are, what are everything you can grow? Yeah. Okay. So around us growing right now, and I'm going to, I'm going to sit for a second so it doesn't mess up my voice because this is an audio, but in my site right now, what I'm looking at, I'm looking at things you probably never heard of. There's taro, there's breadfruit, there's pineapple, there's purple pea flower, there's five different types of papaya. There's four or five different types of oranges around me. There's star fruit that I'm touching right here. There's 15 different types of mango on 50 mango trees. There's 300 coconut trees. This is all within my site right here that I'm looking at. Around me on the ground right here, there's probably 5,000 carrots of 15 different types. There's 300 or 400 beets. There's sugar beets. There's uh, kabocha squash. There's my own types of squash that I've made. There is chili peppers. There's arugula. There's soursop fruit trees, sweet sop fruit trees. There's cilantro. There's, uh, it's, it just, so it'll just keep going and going. There's sweet sorghum. There's popping sorghum. There is, there's a few things I'm not, oh, there's avocados. There's guavas. This is all within my site right here. This Purple is crazy. This it's is crazy. You know, yeah. you know now, now one thing uh, typically when we talk about agriculture in a lot of the world you think of straight rows and flat ground and you know like single crops if they're not monocrop they go and you know again everything a nice big straight line and nice big, big fields and what you're describing is just a whole bunch of stuff naturally to together and and mixed my guess is you look around there you don't see a lot of flat and straight that that's more natural which by natural it's uh, un, you know i i guess i shouldn't have to articulate natural but it just shows how difficult that is because it's you know nature has its own symmetry but it's not necessarily straight and tidy that's right 
So in order to work with the way it throws out fungal mats and mycelium runs and the way water holds in certain areas and the way water runs off the land and takes dirt out into the ocean or the air takes dirt into the ocean, it's all about contour. I look at a piece of land for a year before I make action. And then what people think is going to take 30 years takes three years, sometimes only a year. But it's about that year of observation before it watching and trying to understand the natural cycle and what's been interrupted there so that I can regenerate it, restore it, if you will, take the trash out, try to put as much of the good things as I know from my, you know, 50 years growing up in this environment plus, um, and what I've watched living this close to nature. Also, um, I've been using solar since I was probably 14 years old. Um, when the back of car lights for 12 volt with a car battery. And so the off grid part of it has kept me really close to the stuff growing around me. And I've been able to be out in nature sort of with technology, even from an early age. So I've seen the value of that. And I, and as a child, I also watched what the old people did. Everybody I knew over 80 was in their garden. So I decided to take that on real young. I'm all, they must know something. So I try to watch and learn as much as I can from people around me when I was really young. And then that really led to nature itself teaching me. And now, uh, like I like to say that, yeah, I've been educated by nature. I've had to fight with the university. So I've had to cross my T's and dot my I's um, because they want to rip you apart if you don't have their education. Um, but I've proven myself through the years now by making sure that I do my research adamantly. I spent thousands and thousands of hours as a child in libraries and in everywhere else rather than in a classroom, uh, trying to make sure that I didn't let the enthusiasm get ahead of the facts. So, um, sorry, well, this, this, this sounds great. So in where you live, what's the relationship with animals, either wild animals or, or domesticated animals? Do they... Do, do they live around and within, or is there a spot where livestock ever play into these kind of programs? So I have certain amounts of uh, livestock that exist within my programs um, because I realize that there are certain areas that, like, if you have a cow or two and you have uh, 10 acres, that cow or two can work as a lawnmower for you and be a friend and leave cow poop everywhere. And the yeah. cow poop is amazing for what it does for the soil. Um, cows in the wrong area can compact the land and destroy things. And if they're not rotated properly, so if you're going to do something like that, it comes with some responsibility, um, and some savvy and paying attention to it. Our relationship with animals here in Hawaii, um, we have, uh, wild boar in the mountain. Uh, we have a lot of introduced animals that have been invasive and cause a lot of destruction. One of the deer that we have in the thousands and thousands is the axis deer, which is actually some of the very best meat on the planet. If you research how meat lines up as far as lean and all the uh, easily digestible, the very highest scale is axis deer from India. Um, doesn't get any parasites. So that lives all around us. So we grow up hunting and fishing and diving. And for us, the refrigerator is the mountain itself and the land. Hmm. We don't. I mean, that's always a common thing. I also spent many 30 years of my life on Molokai, which is a small island with only 6,000 people. I have a house in a remote valley there, and I that's where a lot of this knowledge has come from, 
is me spending much time out there. There's been times when I haven't left the valley for almost two years and all of my food, all of my water, all of my entertainment. I'm a surfer. Epic waves here. I was able to travel all around the planet as a surfer and a kite surfer. Um, so I tried to take all the things I was learning in the remote valley. And then when I was out in the world, I was interacting with farmers wherever I traveled. I wanted to learn about what they were doing. How were they making methane? A lot of third world countries are doing that. So I learned how to make methane uh, to do different things with, cook with and such. And trying to be able to see in how why we have such a giant footprint as a carbon footprint for electricity. The average person uses about 20 kilowatts a day of electricity. So that's 20,000 watts a day of electricity to sustain their normal life. That's lights, TV, whatever it is they're using. I run my intern program here and we're completely off grid. And I think there's eight people here in total. And between the eight people, we use less than one kilowatt a day. And everyone wow. has all the modern and enemies as well, as well as they could have all their food come straight from the farm here. We have wild boar that we manage that we catch from one of the other sites where they're destroying things. And then sometimes we have the babies and we raise them up. We let them do some lawn mowing for us. And then we share them with Hawaiians for luau's and people that need food. Um, and we also eat some ourselves once in a while. But they're raised in a very humane, wild way out within a 50-acre field. And we basically hunt when we need them. Wow. Now, let's talk about all that food that's grown in the way that you described. How much of it are you able to take care of your own needs that you were saying that people that are staying there can eat and you eat? And then and then do you also are you also selling or using CSAs or farmers markets or anything for the rest of the distribution? A little bit of a combination of all of that. I have a farm stand set up on the farm that's four minutes down here from the road. This project, like I say, only a year into it, even though, and right now there's 20,000 pounds of mangoes on the trees and there's a uh, ground right now, there's probably 30,000 pounds worth of food. And this is just within the first uh, four or five months of planting and a year of restoration. So what'll happen is a bunch of that will be sold at the fruit stand um, right out to the public there. We have relationships with high-end restaurants that we're starting and forming different relationships because most of the high-end restaurants will be like, oh, we take beets and carrots from this place and they'll put a little plaque. But in reality, they're still taught making them compete with Costco for the prices and sure. they're not doing it the right way. So now we're taking chefs and restaurant owners on tours of our farm and showing them how food should be grown showing them the different flavor profiles and nutrient density when food is grown in biodiverse conditions like rather than just nitrogen phosphorus and potassium and rows to feed food it's much more complicated than that there needs to be different fungal activity that interact with each other and different creatures uh, for instance there's a lot of creatures that have exoskeletons that shed their skin and create an element called cretin and that's a huge part in plants uh, calcium uptake so like being able to have nutrient dense food and food that also has incredible uh, flavor flavor profiles um, also depends on a diverse system. And so uh, that's a big uh, part of this. Uh, so then we wind up with all these different types of food. We're not just taking one crop to uh, the market where they can dictate 50 cents a pound on it. We have crops that can sit in the ground for two years. We have coconuts we can take off for 80 years of fruit trees. So we can, uh, well, I'm learning and teaching other farmers that we want to dictate the market. 
in what we do. Because if I sell it to you for a dollar a pound, I see my same mango for $7 a pound in Whole Foods. So now I'd rather sell less food directly to the public and say, hey, pay $7 a pound for it. Where you're paying at Whole Foods, support good agriculture that takes care of your grandchildren's land. But also, if you can't afford it, come here. I'll teach you how to do the same yourself and how to grow it. And now you can't grow it. You can't learn it all that. Here's an EBT card. We're going to give you free food. Why can we give you free food? Because the other people are paying enough to be able to support it, to also have that balance somewhere where if you can afford it, really support good farmers and give them $60 for a CSA box and have your 10 people that take an expensive CSA box because they're getting the best quality in the world. Um, also have restaurants, if you are going to sell to them, sell them some, not make sure that they're, they're doing well enough. They don't need to compete down for a dollar off a pound because they're they're successful enough already. Yeah, yeah, man, and that's then, great. Now, tell me about this uh, where you can help people learn how to do what you're doing. So, if somebody's saying, "Joe, I want to be like Eddie," might not be able to be in Maui, but can they come there and stay with you? Um, you know, and get the training. How does that work? So there's several ways to do it. Um, you can go to our website. And I don't know if all of it is up on the site right now because we've been shifting a few things around. But we run an intern program. We run a one-year and a three-year intern program. And I believe that program is actually full right now for the next one year. I don't think the three-year will start taking people on until the end of next year uh, as we're developing other lands and stuff and housing and stuff for them. So there's that, there's the intern program. We also have online courses that we generate, and then we do workshops. We do private workshops where people bring groups and they schedule it with us. And then a few times a year, we're uh, scheduling just open uh, workshops where people can get involved with us. But most of the time, people can contact us and let us know, hey, they want to come to Hawaii or they're going to be in Hawaii, and they either want to spend a few days with us, or perhaps they just want to take a day tour. We also do um, tours three days a week here um, where I teach people about what I'm doing. And through the process, we bring in schools. We make films. Uh, I'll send you to some links to some of the small short films we've made that inspire and start to get people on board. And that kind of nurtures a change in people that they want to be a part of it. So in a sense, well, I think we're giving opportunities for, for people to be ambassadors of stewardship and spread the word and let people know that there are different models and that they can do it. And there, people tell me, I don't have a green thumb. Everyone has a green thumb. It just needs, something needs to spark you to commit to it yeah. and the value of it. So if you wanted, if you were going to be an intern and you were saying that you're filled up right now, um, the, are they supplied you know food and lodging and is uh, are there is there any compensation when you're an intern or is it more like some of the other programs that you actually are a volunteer actually actually what we found is that for volunteers it takes so much of my time trying to train people to what i'm doing even just getting them to live off solar electricity and go from 20 kilowatts a day to uh a few hundred watts a day and even though there's no compromising in what they can do, they still have to wrap their head around that they can't use a hairdryer or a head duty or a hot water kettle from the electric. Or there's certain things they have to adjust to. There's so much that comes 
along with it. Um, the leasing, the land is very expensive. The water is very expensive. So we run the program where we, people pay for the program, but they also get an eighth of an acre of land that they lease. They get to farm that land. They get to sell the food from our farm stand. They get to learn all the ins outs, ins and outs of it using my technique, my fertilizer, my water, everything that I have that I make available. And it's cheaper than you could rent a room in Lahaina for. Um, and we give them housing on site. So we really don't um, make anything out of it the way that it works. Um, but it does help to support the farm in uh, ways um, and cover uh, offset some of the costs for me. And then I do get little bits of help from them. I think I require nine hours a week from the interns. So it's three days of three hours of training. And then when they're training, yeah, they can be pulling weeds with me and learning that. They can be pulling honey out of my honey beehives and with me and learning how to do bees. They can be building compost with me. They can be doing all the actions that I do on the farm on those days. And then we have meetings and we provide massive food for them. We teach them everything from, like I said, from the bees to the composting, to the animal care, to how to cook the animal, slaughter the animal, um, if that's what we're doing with that. And also how to harvest the vegetables for eating, but also for getting them to market. Um, and we also teach them a lot of how to cook food, how to cook food straight from the garden that way. And a lot of the uh, misconceptions they've learned their whole lives of things that are getting thrown away from the food that was more just aesthetics that others created. Wow. You know, I kind of made a passing joke about artificial intelligence, but I'm sure, I mean, right now people are saying that they can go to chat GPT and say, tell me how to live off the grid in Hawaii or something. And, and chat GPT will just, you know, kick something back out. And, you know, that's the thing that people kind of fear. Now, in, in your case, it, it is so natural. It is so off the grid. What is it What is it that's especially hard about what you do? Uh, because like you were saying, even the interns have to adjust to, you know, living with uh, less energy and some and other things. What What are the biggest challenges of trying to live and farm the way you're doing it? Um, the biggest challenges of trying to farm the way that I'm doing, um, I got to think about that for a second. Cause, um, in Hawaii, people think, oh, it's easy to grow stuff in Hawaii because it's so beautiful and it's so tropical. Uh, but that is actually a very common mistake. It's probably 10 times harder for us to grow anything here than it is for people in a temperate climate or on the main have um, fruit fly. We have every pest you've ever seen from the United States, from Africa, from Mexico, from Thailand, all the invasive species. We have the fruit fly that takes 80% of most crops that you guys just take for granted. Tomatoes, cucumbers, watermelon, oranges, all of it. So in order for why the um, agricultural industry has been so bad here, for instance, growing pineapples, they were using heptachlorin, DDT, and um, gnarly stuff to keep the insects off of it there. And most all the food has been grown with ammonium nitrate and potassium sulfate. So weeds that where we did a case study in Southern California for almost two years. And I started a farm there. I turned a swimming pool into an aquaponic system and turned a basically uh, one acre property with a swimming pool into one of the heaviest, highest number nutrient density food producing systems ever. Um, we took a granite parking lot 
and we were getting yields of like 2,500 pounds in six months off nut squash, which is normally known for like 10 pounds of squash, a couple little, uh, just from it, but doing it in a long-term system within a forest, it kept producing for six months, just loads and loads and loads of 13 pounds. Um, so, so, so I went off on a tangent there, but the, but to sh the diversity and how easy it was to grow things there, we had to weed eat maybe twice a year. All the dug bugs died in the winter. Uh, yeah. All the weeds died in the winter. There was no chance of having the vectors of disease and stuff that we have to face every day here. So there's commitment to what I do. It's 12 hour days. It's a lot of work. The rewards are bountiful. People ask me what I do. I farm and I surf. I farm and I surf. I eat really, really good from the land. I look quite a bit younger than I am. And I feel like I'm able, in a sense, to be able to pay some of what I have forward to others so they can do it. That's some of the biggest challenges are trying to teach the people that are coming from the other world. I call it another world almost because everyone is so used to everything at their fingertips and the convenience. So to tell someone they can't use their curling iron or they're going to have to get a generator if they want to use that or that they have to uh, pay attention to the electricity use they're using every day um, because if it's there's no sun, it's shady then they have to take that into account that they need to maybe unplug the refrigerator and plug it back in later on. So there's really just a lot of little common sense things that are very inconvenient for people. And that's probably my biggest challenge is I've grown up with it and lived with it for so long. It's not an inconvenience. Uh, NI, natural intelligence. And natural intelligence has a much slower, different schedule. And AI has an instant gratification. And so the, there's not an instant gratification with an NI. NI, you have to adapt to its cycles. And I think to get others to be able to see that and to be able to get that across to them, that's one of my largest challenges, I think. This, this, is, why, this is why I ask these hard questions, Eddie, because I think we're creating a new phrase here. I like this NI thing. And back to a respect for, for nature uh, the way you do. Uh, we got something there. We got something there. Don't let go of that one. We got to keep it going. Right. We walked away from nature. We've walked away from nature for technology. Now we have the chance to walk back to nature with technology. Now we can go with solar panels. Now we can go with water wheels. Now we can go with sun ovens and we can go back to nature and live as stewards for it, but still have the internet and still have the things that we want out of technology. And so I, th we first time ever in for humanity, we're finally faced with like here, use it or lose it. We're destroying it. Now we need to wake up and go, wow, we actually can live here in harmony and we can also have technological stuff, but it's a way of working with natural intelligence and maybe AI opens doors to that somehow as well, because it's a part of technology. seems we ran for the farm to the cities because we saw James Dean in his um, fancy car. Um, and all of a sudden the farm, the hard work was glorified by the city life and the technology. And I think humans have gone through a phase, a few generations of that, but I think it's going to be quite clear coming up. And I already see the change now really starting to take hold. The younger generations are valuing things that the older generations just did not. Um, and they're starting to see the repercussions. They can't find a clean stream, which they've been told about. They can't see a dodo bird or a white rhino. 
You know what I mean? So people are waking up a little bit, hopefully. And, uh, and the older generations would say that the younger ones are so disconnected um, and they're always on their cell phones, which is true. But it's our fault. It's the older generation's fault that has made that happen. So now I think that natural intelligence is actually over in a sense. And we're going to have no choice but to, if we want to have a uh, healthy, wealthy life, it's not going to be dictated by um, the world as we know it now. Um, and I think it's people's values are going to change. And wealth isn't going to be dictated by money as much as it is by what you eat and how you live your life and what's around you. Um, I think that's a good thing. I do. So. I do, too. It's another one. We can add to the list, in addition to natural intelligence, is that wealth's more than money and how you can be wealthy in different ways other than just in cash. You know, Eddie, somebody's listening to us right now and say, well, that's great, but you live in Hawaii. I mean, how do you how do you apply the philosophies that you're able to to live and you spent your life doing too, and say, you know, pluck that down, and I'm in South Dakota or Alabama or Colorado, and uh, can you take that same mindset? And is there a way to do it there, even though temperature and soil and bugs and everything else are so different? The same way humans and animals have coincided and they live in temperate climates, they live in tropical climates, they live in subtropical climates, their nature systems are the same. The plants exist, they can live in a diversity. The bees can live in different places. I mean, most of it carries right over. The case study we did um, for two years in California, there was frost and it got, you know, 20 degrees and we were still growing uh, not are we finding their cycle of plants, things that we grow so great here? We also were experimenting with some of the voyaging plants and the stuff we grow here as well. Um, so yeah, there's little slight differences in rules, but it's kind of funny. I would say 70% of it carries over and the other 30% is the plant material you use and the difference in cycles. Um, like for instance, an aquaponic system here in Hawaii, we have, we can use a lot of fish that can handle warm water. We can't do trout very well, but on the mainland, just about anywhere, trout work really well in an aquaponic system or koi or something that handles the cold water in the winter. Um, you guys also have constant ground temperature, so you can use uh, thermodynamics. You got compost is amazing there. Even in the snow, we were heating water with a compost pile with a black pipe underneath it. Um, it's using natural ways to do things, greenhouses. We lived in a greenhouse where we were there, 100% off-grid. We turned the swimming pool into an aquaponic system, and we turned a decomposed granite parking lot into a major food-producing system. We did that all within a two-year period. Um, so, yes, it's applicable and it's transferable to different places. And also people ask me, Eddie, why do you have these large spreads of land? Well, I'm in the phase right now of trying to inspire the bigger picture. These can also be scaled. Although I see the small family farm, which is I'm the advocate for that, which is from an eighth of an acre in a parking lot to 50 acres. Um, and then being able to scale that up as well to uh, a thousand acres that has 10 or 20, 50 acre farms in it that are all family farms. You're still growing that. We're under this illusion that all the uh, monocropping is feeding people. 
80% of it is going to textiles, fuels, another 20% or whatever it is to animal feed. They claim as little as 10% of all these giant agriculture is going to feeding people. And then the stuff that's coming out of that that's feeding people is probably contributing to cancer and everything else through the Roundup, lack of nutrient density, and everything that's coming on with this giant monocropping. So uh, in a sense, we need to wake up and we need to start touching base with that and seeing that with our own eyes. Um, and I think that, yeah, I'm, again, I'm going off on a rant, but uh, in general, yeah. Hey, you know what? We've had about three or four rants so far in this podcast, and they've, and they've all been constructive. Um, yeah. and, and so we're heading the right direction. I really appreciate what you're doing, and I think a lot of the listeners are going to as well. Tell them again where they can find you and find more information and maybe pursue some of the ideas with you that we've talked about today. Yeah, so the the bread and the butter of it is livingearthsystems.com. It's okay. also Living Earth Systems on Instagram and Facebook. And then um, we have a nonprofit. And that is called Regenerative Education Centers. And again, you can find that at recenters.org. You can see our films on there and some of the stuff we've done. There's some links there. Um, you can get in contact with us through either one of those, Instagram, Facebook, the Living Earth Systems, or recenters.org. Well, I think what you're doing is inspiring. Really glad you shared it. And I want to thank you for being on Farm to Table Talk. Yeah, I'm glad to, glad that you had me here. Um, I'm on a process right now as, as I'm trying to scale things. I want to inspire people. I want them to think out of the box a little bit and know what's possible. So, yeah, please come check out what we're doing. Even if you just glance at our Instagram, check out what the possibilities are. And if you're I come see us. If you call, I'll answer. I'm the kind of guy I want to share it. I want to I want to help promote ambassadors of stewardship and Man. wrapping that food and beautiful things. And natural intelligence. And I, natural intelligence. <laughs> Thanks. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 